For those who like the rhythm of numbers, 3-3 is the 62nd day of 2022. For those who do not, disreputable sources tell me that this is I Want You To Be Happy Day, If Pets Had Thumbs Day, and Talkin' Third Person Day. With that, Sean Tubbs truly wants you to know that this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement has nothing to do with any of those things besides this introductory paragraph. On today's program, Albemarle County holds the first public hearing on staff's recommended $565 million budget for fiscal year 23, and it appears that a turf battle is brewing. A land use advisory group gets a first look at the rezoning to add homes at the North Fork Research Park. The University of Virginia's Buildings and Grounds Committee will rename a building after the late Senator John Warner, and Governor Yunkin signs eight relatively non-controversial bills. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, Camp Albemarle for 60 years has been a wholesome, rural, rustic, and restful site for youth activities, church groups, civic events, and occasional private programs. Located on 14 acres on the banks of the Mormons River near Free Union, Camp Albemarle continues as a legacy of being a civilian conservation corps project that sought to promote the importance of rural activities. Camp Albemarle seeks support for a plan to winterize the Hamner Lodge. That's a structure that was built in 1941 by the CCC, and it has been used by every 4th and 5th grade student in Charlottesville and Albemarle for the study of ecology for over 20 years. If this campaign is successful, Camp Albemarle could operate year-round. Consider your support by visiting campalbemarleva.org slash donate. The first of several iterations of discussion about Albemarle County's next fiscal year budget got underway last night with a public hearing. The total budget is $565.1 million, and that's made up of several different components, including the general fund, the school fund, the school special revenue fund, the special revenue fund, the capital improvement fund, and the debt service fund. Albemarle County's executive is Jeff Richardson. These funds can be highly variable year to year. As an example, the FY23 recommended budget includes the influx of $12 million dollars in remaining one-time funding through the American Rescue Plan Act. Additionally, the nature of capital projects and their related borrowing will vary year to year based on the timing uh, of projects beginning. This next year's budget includes funding for High School Center 2, as well as the final phases of the construction of a new general district court in downtown Charlottesville that would serve both communities. Richardson said those who wanted to make a direct year-to-year comparison of budgets should take a look at the general fund. It's where all tax revenue is received, and it is the primary ongoing funding source for the school fund, the capital fund, the debt program. It also doesn't include pass-through grants that may vary from year to year. The general fund is built on maintaining the same property tax rate of 85.4 cents per $100 of assessed value. But there's an anticipated increase in the rate for the food and beverage tax and the transient occupancy tax. There is funding that will come from a new cigarette tax and proposed revenues from a plastic bag tax. 
There was also a proposed 86 cent drop in the personal property tax rate due to a spike in the valuations of used cars in the past year. The public hearing was the first chance for professional groups and community members alike to influence the budget. A representative from an environmental group supported additional funds for Biscuit Run Park and for something called the Transportation Leveraging Program, but he lamented that the capital budget anticipates no new funds for a program where Albemarle pays for the acquisition of conservation easements. Rex Linville is with the Piedmont Environmental Council. As you all know, our land and water resources are vital to the future of our region and are a critical component of what makes Albemarle County such a special place to live. In fact, the Albemarle County Comprehensive Plan acknowledges this throughout the document and specifically calls for the county to, quote, strengthen the acquisition of conservation easements ACE program by providing a stable, dedicated funding source and staff resources for administering the program, end quote. Later in the meeting, Supervisor Ned Galloway said that the program is under review at this time and is not being zeroed out. Um, we'll do a proper evaluation, and then Mr. Richardson, I presume, if we um, wanted to put funds into the ACE program, even though it's zeroed out right now because of the pause, that we have plenty of reserve options to go to that if we had some projects we wanted to fund. Several speakers appeared to call for the county to build lights and artificial turf at Dardentau Park. There was previously $2.9 million in funds allocated to that purpose. The park is owned by both Albemarle County and Charlottesville. This was anticipated in the fiscal year 2020 budget, but the project has not moved forward. Quite frankly, I am very disappointed that this extremely important community project has been pushed to the wayside. The project was paused in the fiscal year 21 budget due to the pandemic and was not recommended to be resumed. Charlottesville would also need to provide a portion of funding in their capital budget. Mike Ginsberg also spoke to the issue, and he argued for more athletic facilities for youth sports at Dartentau. In my time coaching youth travel soccer in Charlottesville for the past 20 years, I've seen hundreds of multi-sport turf complexes across America and Europe. Every sports complex mirrors one another in that they all have numerous turf fields aligned for various sports like soccer, lacrosse, field hockey, and football. The fiscal year 23 budget anticipates spending $3 million at Biscuit Run Park in fiscal year 23 and $5.3 million in fiscal year 24, and that will include athletic fields. We'll hear more about that in just a moment. The executive director of Live Arts appeared before supervisors to thank them for the recommendations of $5,000 in funding in the next year. Here is Ann Hunter. I just wanted to focus uh, to let you know the focus of this grant is rebuilding our 1,200-person volunteer corps after it was decimated during the, the pandemic. Hunter was the last speaker at the public hearing. After that, supervisors had the chance to provide direction in advance of next Wednesday's budget work session. At one of those events, there will be a discussion about the future of athletic fields in Albemarle and whether supervisors want to unpause the Dardentau project. Here is Assistant County Executive Trevor Henry. We're planning to um, <clears throat> present to the board on the March 23rd work session. Uh, it's, it's not just a turf field discussion. It's going to be a discussion um, led out of Parks and Rec on overall uh, field needs. Um, we'll, we will talk a little bit about the history of the Dart Turf Project um, and, and um, you know, talk about the current CIP request, which includes four natural grass fields at um, 
at uh, Biscuit Run. Darden Tau Park is within the Rivanna Magisterial District, represented by Supervisor B. Lepisto Kirtley. She said she looked forward to the work session. Because I do feel that we need to have a, a really good sports um, uh, venue here in Charlotte or here in Avamarla County. Um, Biscuit Run, I think, is the optimum place to have that. I'm just going to put it out there already. Supervisor Chair Donna Price said she also wanted a sportsplex within Albemarle and looked forward to the discussion. I also continue to have questions as to many of our community members based upon the various opinions that have been shared with us as to the advisability of artificial turf versus natural grass turf because there are advantages and disadvantages to eat. That budget work session begins at 3 p.m. on March 9th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time now for the second shout-out, which goes to the Piedmont Master Gardeners to announce their 2022 Spring Lecture Series, featuring leading experts on sustainable landscaping, indigenous gardening wisdom, and small fruit production at home. For all three... For all four Thursdays in March, you can buy a virtual ticket for these informative events. Today, on March 3rd, acclaimed garden designer and photographer C. Colston Burrell will discuss beauty, integrity, and resilience. Can a garden have everything? On March 10th, Renee Goki and Christine Price Avalo of the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of the American Indian will discuss the Three Sisters, Indigenous Origins and Best Growing Practices. For the rest of the sessions and to buy a ticket, visit piedmontmastergardens.org events. We have three more segments after the break today, and let's get started with the first. The University of Virginia's Board of Visitors meets this week, including the committee that reviews land use items. Later on today, or earlier, depending on when you've heard this, the Buildings and Grounds Committee will consider a proposal to rename Maury Hall after the late Senator John Warner. The university's Naming and Memorials Committee reviewed the name and has found that Matthew Fontaine Maury has no connection to UVA except for an 1855 speech when he gave a lecture in support of slavery. Here's a section from the staff report. During the 1850s, Maury was an outspoken advocate for the policy that slaveholding states should establish a commercial slave network with Brazil and other parts of South America. Maury Hall was built by the U.S. Navy in 1942 as an ROTC facility and continues to house that program, even though the military branch no longer owns the building. The naming committee has recommended renaming the building after the late Senator Warner, who died in May of 2021. Warner had temporarily left his studies at the University of Virginia School of Law at the start of the Korean War in 1950 and returned at its conclusion. After some years of private practice, he was Undersecretary of the Navy and served as Secretary of the Navy in the mid-1970s. If approved by the Board of Visitors, Maury Hall would become John W. Warner Hall. The Buildings and Grounds Committee will also see a schematic design for the new UVA Encompass Health Rehabilitation Hospital to be built at Fontaine Research Park. That's where an existing structure will be upgraded to a 60-bed hospital with all private rooms. 
The Buildings and Grounds Committee will also review revisions to the major capital plan, which was last revised in June of 2021. There is a proposal to begin design for a Center for the Arts, the School of Architecture's Center for Design, and an Engineering Academic Building. Four major capital projects are also being proposed to be added. They are the Institute for Biotechnology, Ivy Corridor Landscape and Infrastructure Phase 2A, Memorial Gym Infrastructure and Accessibility Renewal, and Monroe Hall Addition HVAC Renewal. HVAC stands for HVAC. The University of Virginia is also working to locate up to 1,500 units of affordable housing at three locations, one of which is the North Fork Discovery Park on US-29 near the Charlottesville Regional Airport. The Places 29 North Community Advisory Committee got a look at a rezoning that UVA's Real Estate Foundation needs in order to place some of those units. Bill Fritz is Albemarle's lead reviewer for the project. We're at the very early stages of this. There are very, a lot of much more detailed things that will be coming at a later date. Albemarle Community Advisory Committees play the role of information clearinghouse, more so than an advisory body, as any resolutions that are adopted by the group are non-binding. They often host community meetings for land use applications. In this case, the land is currently all zoned Planned Development Industrial Park, and the University of Virginia Foundation seeks to change a portion of that to the Neighborhood Model District. That district has the widest variety of uses of all the districts that we have. And, and in that particular portion of the, of the property or project, uh, project is made up of multiple properties, they are proposing to be allowed to do residential development and some commercial and some, re- uh, some office and some retail. The land is within the Places 29 Master Plan, which was adopted in February of 2011. Valerie Long is an attorney with the law firm Williams Mullen. Even though the research park, excuse me, North Fork does not currently permit residential, which is why we're here, um, it was clearly contemplated back with the Places 29 Master Plan uh, when that was adopted about 10 years ago. Since then, the UVA Foundation has covered the costs of extending Lewis and Clark Drive to Airport Road, providing more connectivity to the area. They've also been slowly adding more businesses to support companies that have offices in the research park. For instance, Foods of All Nations runs a cafe, and there is also a large outdoor area enabled with Wi-Fi. Deborah Van Ursel is the Chief Administrative Officer at the UVA Foundation. However, to support those amenities, you actually need people who live near and or um, will spend money on those um, service-oriented companies. We think that bringing housing in makes it more vibrant. We talked about multifamily, townhomes, and single detached housing to creating active, diverse communities. We've talked about affordable housing. In the application, the UVA Foundation is asking for a minimum of 200 units and a maximum of 1,400 units. That drew a comment from Supervisor B. Lepisto kurtley Okay, that's quite a range. <laughs> it is. A, we, we acknowledge that, most certainly. Um, we wanted, again, to provide flexibility to um, accommodate, you know, the market demand and interest. Um, but also, you know, it's it's a new thing for North Fork. So right. uh, we think there'll be a lot of interest. Part of that range may be due to the possibility of water supply limitations. You can learn more about that aspect of this development in Allison Rabel's February 20 story in the Daily Progress. 
There is no date yet for when the project will go to the Planning Commission for a public hearing. Fritz said the county is expecting a resubmittal based on input from staff and the public so far. As the 2022 Virginia General Assembly continues to reach its end point, legislation continues to either be passed, passed by indefinitely, continued until next year, or some other fate. The ultimate fate that any legislator wants is for a bill to make its way to the governor's mansion for consideration. Governor Glenn Youngkin signed eight more bills yesterday, and these are worth documenting, just for the heck of it. HB 518 changes the way that transient occupancy taxes are collected and alters the steps that accommodations intermediaries must take when submitting revenue to the Department of Taxation. HB 3 will allow a sales tax exemption on gold, silver, and platinum bullion to remain in place until June 30, 2025. This would have expired at the end of June. The sunset of major business facility job tax credits will now be June 30th, 2025, rather than this June 30th. Another sales tax exemption is also being extended for three years, this time for components used in building or renovating aircraft components. HB 148 allows a locality to certify pollution control equipment themselves, rather than having that done by the state government. James Madison University and Virginia Tech will both be able to float up to $101 million in bonds for revenue-producing capital projects now that HB 165 has been signed into law. That's $101 million for both of those schools. Some changes to the Shipping and Logistics Headquarters grant program have now been made, and some definitions of contributions to the Virginia retirement system will also happen with the passage of HB 473. There's a lot of bills that go through the legislature, and I think it's really important for people to see this because um, it's not just one or two bills. There's a lot going on all the time, and the hope for this program is to bring as much of it to you in a way that makes sense. And that is the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, which does make sense because it's gone on for quite some time and there will be another one coming tomorrow. One of these days I'll get these out by nine o'clock, but of course, whenever you hear this, it is great. I think that you can hopefully get an education on some things that you might not have known beforehand. That is the purpose of Charlottesville Community Engagement and Town Crier Productions and the archive site Information Charlottesville. You can visit that latter one at infoseville.com and if you click on the support the info button you can see how you can support this program uh, the number one way you can do that of course is to sign up for a paid subscription through substack you'll get a couple of extra things every now and then uh, at least a first look but you also just get to support this program and the company the internet company ting will match your initial contribution so special thanks to them for that. And it's time to get the next invoice out because I would like to continue to do this for as long as possible and the revenue has to come in. So far, so good. We are 19 months into this and this is episode 341, I think. Might be 340. Who's counting? I am, but unfortunately that spreadsheet is not in front of me. This is Sean Tubbs, counter of spreadsheets, compiler of information, and the one who says to you now, Stay safe out there, stay out of the wind, and have a good rest of the day. For the record, this was episode 341.